0: I would like to begin with a question this morning. If people had to think of someone when they meet with you, who would you want them to think of when they see you? You know how in conversation when we meet with people, someone say, so-and-so reminds me of, and then they give a name of who so-and-so reminds them of. It's a valid statement. People do remind people of people. So when people see you and me, engage us in conversation, join us in our work, what image comes to their mind? Who do we make them think of? Let's now say we could choose who they would think of. Let's expand that a little bit. Let's say we could choose who would come to their mind when they meet with us. Let's say we could choose that. You know something? We are given that choice. That we can have an influence in the life of another to help determine in their mind who they will think of when they visit with us or act with us, engage with us, and so on. Imagine someone might say to you, hey, uh, you remind me of, and then they mention someone who's maybe a person of good repute, a person of uh, good character, a person of integrity, and maybe past, somebody who's already died, somebody who's still around, and... You kind of feel like, oh, that's good. At least I'm a positive influence. I'm a positive positive influence on this person. On the other hand, if they would say, you remind me of... And then they would mention somebody who's arrogant, proud, boastful, whatever, immoral. Ouch, that would hurt. But it's a reality. We remind other people of people. Others remind us of people. We may even have seen... Someone, maybe we've seen someone, I've never seen someone before, I, I mean, I remember this years ago, I had an experience like that. I was in a conference, and in this conference, there was a lot of people I didn't know, and there was a guy, and I just thought, he looks like me. I don't know if you ever had that happen to you. I made my way over to him, and I introduced myself, and we had the same last names. Weird. Not only that, we kind of sounded the same too. We're not related, though. I would have liked to play the Mennonite game, but it didn't. We're not even that far apart in age. And during the course of the conference, another guy walked in and says, are you, you and that guy, are you brothers? He says, no, we're not. But the, as I was thinking about this this last week, I thought to myself, and you know, at that point in time, you sure hope the other guy's a good guy, too, because if he's a bad guy or a, has a bad reputation, and now he sees a resemblance, somebody sees a res, a me as a resemblance of him who knows him, that will give me bad reputation, or at least impression. You see, when someone looks like you and talks like you and acts like you, you wonder, are they like you? This morning's question is, who are you in imitation of? You know, Jesus instructs us to follow him. Be a light in this world. Even earlier, Joe mentioned Genesis. God said in Genesis, let's make man after our image. Image? Let's make people. They will, remind, they will be a reminder of our glory, of our majesty. We're to reflect God, act like God, behave like God, live holy lives in honor of God, worship God. We're continuing our sermon series in Philippians and the theme, Joy in All Circumstances. In today's passage, we will see how important it is that we imitate the right one, the right person, the right persons. You see, Paul had started this church in Philippi, and he was now in Rome in prison suffering for the gospel because he preached the gospel. So when he wrote to the church at Philippi, part of the message was how they should live their lives. And he says a very strange thing. He says, I want you to imitate me. Paul was a man when he did something, he gave it all he had. And two Sundays ago, we learned how Paul had... Paul taught the Philippians that you can't use your own self-righteous works as a measurement, as a boundary, or as a, as a stepping stone to God, and as a self-righteous actions will lead you to God, or they will, they will save you, or they will provide salvation. Paul, when he was still Saul, had tried that. But then he had an encounter with Jesus. He realized, I can't save myself. My works don't save me. And this self-made, home-built, righteousness does not work. God does not recognize that. God's A relationship with God is not some self-assembly project we do on our own. We're saved by grace through faith when we repent and believe, and we cannot do it on our own. Then last Sunday, Pastor Joe explained how Paul had put all of that stuff behind him, all of that stuff, his own righteousness, his own effort, his own self-accomplishments, all of that stuff he put behind him. Now he focused on Christ, and him alone, he wants to be like Christ, follow Christ, lay a hold of that. That's the only thing that has true value and meaning. Here and in the future. And he had this rope. This little, this, There was this little red-black piece on the rope that uh, as it illustrates. We have only this little piece of time here to do that in. See, when Paul became a follower of Christ, it became all about Jesus. Imitating Jesus. That illustration of the rope was a good visual reminder. For Paul, it was what matters for eternity. That's what he aimed for. That's what he was striving for. Today, we want to continue in that vein of striving. Moving forwards to the prize but from a different level. You see, as God's children, we are here. We're not finished yet. We're in process. And again, that was described last Sunday as well. We're still moving forward. We've got some growing to do. We're saved. We're called. And if it is true, if it's real, it will reveal itself. And as time goes on, we become more and more Christ-like. When people meet with us, we remind them, oh, yeah, that guy's very Christ-like. So we need to ask ourselves, who or what are we being conformed to? Who do we imitate? Join with me in reading Philippians 3 verse 17. Paul writes this, he says, Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. There it is. Paul knew that the people of Philippi were familiar with him, his way of teaching, and his life. Paul knew that the people at Philippi looked at him as a role model. And he encouraged the people at Philippi to pattern their lives after his. And he says, join in imitating me. He was confident of his relationship with Jesus. He had nothing in his life that he was holding on to anymore. He was sold out. It was not just Paul, but there were others. There were other people at Philippi as well, living godly lives. And he says, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. I want us to take note of this. He says, there are those in the church who you know are living godly lives. Follow them. Walk like they do. Live as they do. When he says, join in imitating me, this is not just one person. It's a group thing. Paul is saying, do like I do. That's huge. And he says, keep your eyes on those who walk, or we can say who live according to the example you have in us. And it was not just the Philippian church that Paul said this to. There were other people as well. If you read 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, let's read that verse too. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, Paul writes, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. There were some serious issues in Corinth to work through. And Paul says, hey, guys, guys, just watch me. Just just watch me and follow my path. I have to be honest here this morning and say I struggle with passages like this. And here's why, because as a human being... I make way too many mistakes, have to repent too many times and confess so many times and I struggle with saying, do as I do. Well, I'll just say, imitate Christ. If you see something in me worth imitating, that's fine, but boy, I sure do need to repent a lot. And if you want to do as I do, check with Jesus first. That would be my advice. Now, you and I may say to others, imitate Christ, and that's good, but we have to ask ourselves, who are we we imitating? And the thing is, how's God expanding His church? How's God growing His church? He's growing it through you and I. That's it. So there's a big reason why we need to do this. When we walk with God, we're not walking with God just for myself, for yourself. We walk with God for the purpose of honoring God, imitating Christ, so others will see, others will become convicted, others will repent, they will hear, they will follow too. We are role models, good or bad, one way or another. The question is not, will we be role models? The question is, what kind of role models will we be? It's a tall order. It's been said, our lives, my life, your life, may be the only Bible some unbelievers will ever get to read. Not just, do we have a message? We are the message. Think about that for a second. The words we say the behaviors we demonstrate sends a message. And the message that our lives broadcast is something that will either draw others to Christ or push them away. We are not neutral beings. You see, in all this modeling our life after a man like Paul, or after Jesus, living like him, that wouldn't be so bad if, if, it wasn't, if, if you could just kind of take the cross out of it. You know, just, just, just leave the cross aside. I read someone recently that in studying Paul, we never find him discouraged or frustrated at what he went through for the sake of the gospel. There were things that frustrated him. We'll get there in a minute. There were things that frustrated him, but not his sufferings. The one thing that caused him hardship was when he saw people claiming to follow Christ, but not real in their walk. Their lifestyle was, was, was a different picture. When he saw people putting on a pretend show, he knew, he could see it's not real. It caused him a lot of pain and frustration. And we know about Paul, his life was a life of servanthood. He was a man who served. And he served in the most difficult and high-risk and most dangerous life-threatening situations. He was hated, falsely accused, got arrested, was beaten, suffered cold, hunger, beatings, and the list goes on. At one point in Paul's life, He had started the church in Corinth, and the people in Corinth had kind of gotten off track a little bit, and and there were some people coming in who were actually totally off track, trying to steer things in the wrong direction, and so Paul wrote a letter. He first wrote one letter, and there's another letter he wrote. We have that in 2 Corinthians Corinthians 11, verse 22. It's quite a lengthy piece. I'll read this. So Paul is challenging them. You guys, you're going after those guys. Listen. He says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are the servants of Christ, I'm a better one. He's questioned whether they are even servants or not. Maybe they were. I'm talking like a madman, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, Lost count. often near death, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. You can only beat somebody 40 times one time, 40 lashes one time. so they always gave him 39. Five, t- five times that happened. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, and in toil, hardship, through many a sleepless night, and hunger and thirst, often without food, and cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Join me in imitating Christ. How about that? Any volunteers? And he says, imitate me. This does not mean that we will go through the hardships he faced, but it means sign up. At this point, we say, hold it, hold it. That may be for you, but it's not for me. If I'm, consider, if I'm supposed to consider that as a way of life, to experience some of that, count me out. Well, this is not new. There have always been people who want to customize the message to fit the modern culture. It was then, it's now. It's not new. And we have to say, Paul's life by today's standards, even by those standards, was just challenge after challenge after challenge. He wasn't regretting it. He wasn't complaining about it. He was saying, join me. Join me. I read a quote this last week that kind of puts me to shame, and maybe many of us. We sing the song, this writer said, it's all about Jesus. He says, who are we kidding? It's all about Jesus as long as it's in a service I like. The hydro doesn't go out. It's all about Jesus as long as it's in a building I like. It's all about Jesus as long as it's with people I like. It's all about Jesus as long as the music is what I like. It's all about Jesus as long as it's for a length of time I like. How selfish have we become At some point, this writer says, take up your cross and follow me, change and come to Jesus and he'll make your life better. For the majority of people who claim Christ in North America, it's not about enduring, it's not about suffering, it's not about being inconvenienced even, it's about what's in it for me. If the worship's not on time, I won't go. Not my style of music, I won't go. Not my kind of preaching, I won't go. Not my kind of programs, I won't go. On and on and on. Who are we imitating? Self. Let me ask, who are we imitating? You know who we are imitating? Adam and Eve. That's who we're imitating. Satan planted a lie. They believed it and off they went and you know the history. Like the people of Noah's time. They got themselves destroyed. People of the Tower of Babel got themselves scattered. Children of Israel complained. Had to wander 40 years in the desert. And we could go on about other examples. You and I are created for a higher purpose than self. We're created to imitate God, to imitate Jesus. Life should not be about catering to the whims of our selfish nature. If life is all about what makes me happy and comfortable and so on, that's not the gospel. That is not the gospel. Self-gratification, self-service, self-devotion, self-worship, that's a message from Satan. He preaches it loud and clear. And for many pulpits, no less, to deceive the people. Again, let's read 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. Paul says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. He's not content to just point his listeners to believe the gospel. No, live the gospel. If you're not living it, can't say you're believing it. Let's read verse 18, and here it really gets down to the bone. He says, for many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. As I mentioned earlier, two weeks ago, we looked at the danger of building one's life on performance and self-effort and putting stock into our own accomplishments, and there are those who do that and thinking they're good and their credit will lend itself to some, some bonus and, and they will have... Have salvation in part because of that, and so on. Paul says, No, it's not true. Salvation is by grace through faith. You won't get saved by your accomplishments. No, no, no other plan is available. Today, we're looking at the other end of that spectrum. There's another side. The one side about self effort and human legalism and, and self works and all that stuff, religion. Pharisees fit that. In this passage, we see the other side, the opposite end of it. We need to remember Paul is speaking to believers. But not everybody who calls themselves one is one. There are those, who Paul says, they live, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Remember just a few minutes ago I mentioned Paul's sufferings. That was Paul's cross. He never hated the cross. He embraced it. He preached about it. He preached the cross. That's where the power was. He says, these people, uh, yeah, they, they're in it, they're in the church, but they're enemies of the cross of Christ. There's so much to unpack here, We would take a long time, but maybe we can ask, what, who is an enemy of the cross of Christ? An enemy of the cross, as Paul has in mind here, is someone who professes to be a believer in God, but he has no use for the lifestyle of the servant of the cross. No use for sacrifice or even suffering enemies of the cross are people who have set in their hearts and mind that it's okay you can live for self here worship self here and in, in the end heaven to boot charles spurgeon had some things to say about that some some of charles spurgeon's writings are just deep and powerful writings and i just thought this uh, this last week as i read some of that stuff i'm just going to clip and paste it here charles spurgeon wrote this he says paul wept for three reasons First, on account of the guilt of these enemies of the cross of Christ. Second, on account of the ill effects of their conduct. And finally, on account of their doom. He was not worried about himself. He was concerned what was going to happen to these people. The second, he wrote, Paul he Spurgeon writes, I never read that the apostle wept when he was persecuted. Though they plowed his back with furrows, I do believe that never a tear was seen to gush from his eye while the soldiers scourged him. Though he was cast into prison, we read of his singing, get that, never of his groaning. I do not believe he ever wept on account of any sufferings or dangers to which he himself was exposed for Christ's sake. I call this an extraordinary sorrow because the man who wept was no soft piece of sentiment and seldom shed a tear even under grievous trials. And we know from other writings of Paul, he counted suffering a privilege. And here's another thing Spurgeon writes, and this is serious, he says... Professors of religion who get into the church and yet lead ungodly lives are the worst enemies that the cross of Christ has. These are the sort of men who bring tears to the minister's eyes. These are they who break his heart. They're the enemies of the cross of Christ. It's from Spurgeon. Dealing with unbelievers, atheists, that's one thing. Dealing with these people, that's a whole another level of darkness and deception. These are people who do not believe that you have to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Jesus. You don't need to repent. You're good as you are. God loves you anyway. The whole thing about dying, Jesus dying for a sin is not, that's, that's, we just don't go there. You're a good person. They're into self, not the cross. Why does Paul mention he's writing to them with tears? I agree with Spurgeon. It's because he sees what is ahead. These people cause great damage to God's work, to God's kingdom, and his reputation. Paul's tears are an indicator of how deeply pained he was in just thinking about this as he wrote his letter. They say one thing, they prove another. And we know today in modern Christianity in North America, there is a double standard. People can be followers of self, celebrate self, and Christians at the same time. The Bible does not make room for that. I'm not here talking about people who repented of their sin, put their faith in Jesus, and are struggling with a sin problem. That's not what this is. There are those, and I meet with those. They don't have victory all the time. They struggle, they confess, they repent. There's hope, and these people are saved. But this is about, I will do it my way. I have my own plan, and God's going to accept it. Jesus makes it very clear, he's Lord and he's King. There's only one master, not two. There's only one way to be saved, not two. There are many who preach a different Christ, not the one who calls us to bear a cross, not the one who calls us to deny ourselves. There are those who preach a Christ who caters to the flesh, who make your life easy in whatever way you choose it to be. Notice how Paul sheds some light on this, and it's very, very disturbing. He says in verse 19, he says, Philippians 3:19, 19, Their end is destruction, these people. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. When people do this, they reveal something about themselves which we don't want to see. They are headed toward destruction. Very intentionally, they set their lives up for self-gratification, self-fulfillment, and self-worship. He says their end is destruction. They will not enter glory. They do not want to embrace the cross. They do not want to imitate people like Paul. They believe there's no consequence for what they do. And here in North America and in Canada specifically, there's a lot of stuff that goes on today in the name of tolerance and acceptance and progress of unity and getting along. It has nothing to do with glorifying God. Everything to do with shaming Him. And shame and immorality is celebrated and lifted up. What's, what's passing for normal is something condemned by Scripture. I don't need to get into specifics for anyone to understand or know what I mean. What we're seeing is not new. We can see what Paul is writing here. It was that case even then. There have always been people who followed the lust and pleasures of the flesh, and when something somebody mentions it, oh, God is love. God won't judge me. God is love. Well, we know from Scripture, Jesus came. He died for our sins to. Make peace between us and God. He took the wrath of God on the cross. These words and these verses are hard verses, I know, I understand that. And he didn't write them for us to just be a place to just camp on and stay there. But they're part of a greater message. These are words of warning to alert God's people to the dangers. To the danger of listening to people who profess to be followers of Jesus but live sinful and moral lives and so Paul continues on and there's, a better, there's, a better, there's a better thing to look for in verse 20 he says but when you hear the word but or when you see the word but in a sentence there's a shift, there's a change He says, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables Him to, him even to subject all things to himself you see folks we're not home here We're ambassadors. We're messengers. We're born into this world to glorify God as His image, to be an imitator of God. This world is not our home. We're strangers here. Does it look like we're strangers here? The the values God's people hold, the goals they have, the things they strive for, do they line up with the teachings of Jesus and the cross? Our citizenship is in heaven and the kingdom we serve will reveal where we're headed. For those who've embraced the message of Jesus, who've been saved, when Jesus returns, Paul writes, our bodies will transform into bodies like, a body like His by the power that enables Him to subject all things to Himself. It's not easy to live in the world the way things are now. Here and now it's difficult. There's increasing persecution in many countries, as we know. And even our own country is narrowing the margins of religious freedoms. We know that too. We don't know how much longer our freedoms will be than what they are now. We're grateful for what we have. My prayer for us is this to live our lives as an imitation of Jesus. I began this sermon with this title Who Are You an Imitation of? I trust you and I are imitations of Jesus, cross and sufferings and all, imitations of his love. Imitations of his grace, imitations of his seriousness in dealing with sin, imitations of his devotion to pleasing the Father, imitations of generosity, sacrifice for one another, that reveals that we're friends of Jesus. Our lives are a message. How we live our lives will influence other people. Paul encourages readers to imitate Christ, imitate him and those who walk as they do, as he does. And then he warned them of those who live as enemies of the cross, who are headed for doom. May we live our lives in honor of Jesus. So much so, when others run into us, Ay, that must be a follower of Jesus. That must be a follower of Jesus. That should never, ever happen, that they, yes, the other way. I don't know if he's a Christian by the actions he does, by the lifestyle he lives, by the priorities he has, or the way he conducts his life. It's sad when there are people who profess to be Christ reveal that it's nothing but self. You and I are called by God to live a life that is an image of Him, an imitation of Him, that resembles Him, that glorifies Him, and in the process draws others to Jesus. May that be our goal in life. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the example you set for us when you walk this earth. It was an example you expect all of us to follow. You never mentioned it would be easy, but you said it would be a path that leads to holiness. Lord, we're tempted every day to compromise our walk with you. We're being tempted, we're being challenged in our commitments. Help us, Lord, to be devoted only to you. Give us grace, Lord Jesus. Give us grace to walk with you. And when others see us, they will know we've been with you. We look like you. We live like you give us strength to that end. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.